welcome to another episode of The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Today's episode is from Easter Sunday, April 9th, and is preached by our pastor, Brother Mike Sylvie. Our desire is that this message builds you up in your faith as you walk daily with Christ. Here now is Brother Mike preaching from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 15 on five stops Jesus made after the resurrection. Sixteen. The Gospel of Mark gives us a unique look at the resurrection story. Find the five stops that Jesus made after the resurrection. Now, after Jesus had experienced everything leading up to his death, burial, and resurrection, betrayed by a close friend, deserted by all his disciples, abused, beaten by the Roman soldiers, condemned by the religious authorities, crucified by his own people, you would think by then that Jesus would be ready for a people break. You know what I'm saying? You know the feeling? You get to the point sometimes when you just need a break from people, a people timeout. One person that could relate to that feeling said it this way. He said, the older I get, the more I understand why Ernest T. Bass threw rocks at people. All of us can relate to that. You younger folks that don't know who Ernest T. Bass is, Google him, and you'll you'll find the classic comedy uh, on TV that's done in a great way without being crude or inappropriate. Classic great humor in the Andy Griffith Show. But Jesus, you would think, by this time would have been full of people and needing to get a Get away from them. But we find just the opposite. After the resurrection, we find Jesus spending time with people first. In fact, he went after them. He sought them. That's because Jesus loves people. He loves you. He loves everyone more than we do. And he couldn't wait get back with his loved ones. That's why he sought them out. They were his loved ones. God has a family of loved ones. And he created your earthly family to lead you and point you in the direction of his forever family. Your earthly family is temporary. It's physical and it's here on this earth. But God's heavenly family, it is spiritual. It is eternal And it's the family that God wants you in forever. And it is possible for all of us to be in God's family because Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again that we might live. God loves people. We see that in Jesus after the resurrection. Jesus spent 40 days on the earth during that time before he ascended back up to heaven. And he had several encounters with people. And Mark shows them to us. Now we're going to read in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 9, and begin to see how Jesus made five stops 
after his resurrection. Verse 1 says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified? He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. So here's the first stop that Jesus makes. It's there in verse 9. And his first stop was this. Jesus stops for the one who needs comfort. That was Mary Magdalene. She had been delivered by Jesus from seven demons. He had changed her life. He had brought her life back to her. And when he left, she was broken. She couldn't... She couldn't go on. She couldn't live. And the reason why Mary Magdalene was first to see Jesus is because she was the last one to leave the tomb. She kept hanging around there because she just couldn't bear not seeing him. And Jesus, as the angel said in the text, the angel said, he's on his way to Galilee. That was the plan from the very beginning. Back in the Garden of Gethsemane, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 37, Jesus said, But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. The disciples forgot that. We even read the story over and over every year, and we forgot that he says, said that. But that was the plan. He was going to go to Galilee and meet them first there. But he stops along the way because there were some people that needed him. And the first one was the lady, a solitary individual who was broken, and she needed her life put back together. She needed the Lord's comfort. And that's why the Lord stopped. And he appeared to Mary Magdalene first. You put all the gospel accounts together and you find that resurrection morning was a very busy morning. There was people coming and going, running everywhere. Mary was the first one there. She evidently was the ringleader. She wanted to see the Lord. She wanted to go and at least See him again, see his broken body again and do what she could to anoint it. And so she got the other ladies. The Bible says that they arose while it was still dark, before the sun had risen. And they are on their way to the tomb when the sun begins to dawn. And the Bible shows us that when the sun was rising, the sun, S-O-N, was rising. He rose at dawn. And there was a great earthquake, and an angel from heaven like lightning came down and 
rolled the, to- the stone away and sat on the stone with eye- lightning flashing out of his eyes just staring at those Roman guards. And they, the Bible says they shook like dead men. And they fled the scene. If an angel like lightning was staring at you, you'd flee the scene too. tomb was open, Jesus walks out. In my mind's eye, I see that angel bowing before him. He walks out of that tomb. Nobody else is around. Jesus steps over into the shadow, and then the ladies arrive. You see, when they they arrived, the, the stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty, Jesus was alive. And they had been occupied with this question on the way, how are we going to roll this stone? We've got all these spices, we've got all this stuff we need to do. How are we going to get to it? And they were, they were consumed with that question. And then when they got there, they look up from their conversation, and there the stone has been rolled away. And they can't believe it. Mary can't believe it. Who took him? We need to anoint his body. Where is he? And another gospel account says at this point, Mary drops everything, and she runs back to the house. And she tells Peter and John. Peter and John can't believe it. They run back to the tomb. The other ladies are still standing right there just waiting. And they run back to the tomb. The Bible says that John outran Peter. Peter wasn't good in track, I guess. But John just stood outside the tomb and Peter joined them and then Peter was the first to go in. And he looked at the claws that were lying there where Jesus was. And he sees the stone rolled away. And the Bible shows us that in that moment, Peter realized that he was alive. And it appeared in Peter's mind that, that Jesus was alive and he was here. He couldn't see him with his own eyes, but he knew that he was alive. And then the Bible says John came in after him and John also believed. And then they go back to their house. They're still going to need some confirmation, but they go back to their house at that point. Now the ladies step in to the tomb. And when they step in, they see this young man sitting here uh, in this long white robe. And he says to them, you're seeking Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. And they, they are given the announcement. And then at the same moment, all of a sudden another angel appears the other accounts tell us that there were two angels. This one says one. Both accounts are right. It's because there were people coming and going at different stages and angels coming and going at different stages. But God supplied a second angel there in the tomb to confirm the witness to follow the principle in the scripture that says in the mouth of two or three witnesses let every testimony be confirmed. And so the angels tell the ladies And they can't believe it. They go out of the tomb and some of the ladies began to run back to the others and tell them that they've seen the angels. Mary stays. Why? Because Mary wants to see the Lord. She's broken without him. And John tells us that she's sitting, standing outside the tomb weeping and she looks in again And she sees the two angels, and the two angels speak to her again. And then as she's speaking to them, she hears someone behind her. And she turns. And there's Jesus. He had stopped to come to her. And she didn't understand who he was at first. And then she hears him speak her name. 
Mary. And then she understood. And she knew. And she said, Rabbi, teacher, Jesus. And in that moment, her life came back to her. And her heart was comforted. Because Jesus was alive. That's why he stopped. Jesus was on his way to Galilee. And he stopped for one solitary individual who needed their life put back together. We're reminded this morning that God loves us all individually. He loves you the way you are. You say, I'm not, I'm not put together like everybody else. I don't have it all together. Sometimes I fall apart and I don't know what to do. That's not a problem with God. He loves you just as you are, just as he loved Mary. John chapter 3, verse 16, that great verse of the Bible speaks to us of the immensity of God's love. God so loved the world, the world of people, the world of all kinds of people. God loves them. But it also speaks to us about the individuality of God's love, and that is that whosoever believes upon him should not perish, but should have everlasting life, abundant life, a life filled with peace and comfort as we see Jesus bringing to Mary in this moment. The Bible speaks of comfort and uses that word in relation to those who are weeping that are broken. The word means to, to speak in a soothing voice. And that's exactly what Jesus did on that resurrection morning when he called Mary's name. The Bible says, John chapter 10, that the good shepherd calls his sheep by name. He knows your name. He knows what you're going through right now. And just like Jesus stopped with Mary, he's stopping with you. And he is here today. If you need his comfort, he's alive today to give you that comfort. That was his first stop. Well, Mary goes on from there. The rest of the verses, verse 10 and 11, tells us that she now goes out to tell those who... Uh, and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept, verse 10, verse 11, and when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. And we've got to cut them a little slack. If we were there, we'd probably have done the same thing. This was all so new to them, they were overwhelmed, but they were going to get the message pretty soon because Jesus was going to stop and speak to them as well. But this was stop number one. And the Bible tells us in Matthew that the other ladies were on their way and Mary caught up with them. We don't know. Maybe Jesus said, let's go catch up with them. Maybe they ran to the ladies. And the Bible says in Matthew that those ladies on their way also had Jesus appear to them and he comforted their hearts. That was his first stop. His second stop is in verse 12. And that is Jesus stops for the ones who need encouragement. The Bible says in verse 12, after that he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. And this is the account of the two followers of Christ on the road to Emmaus. And this story is given to us in detail in Luke chapter 24. And uh, one of the followers is named Cleopas. We don't know hardly anything about him, but it was him and a companion that were on their way seven miles outside Jerusalem back to Emmaus, which evidently is where they were from. 
Why did Jesus just pick up? He was on his way to Galilee. That was the plan. Why does he now pick up and go and, and appear to these two followers of his? Because the Bible says they were sad. They were in need of encouragement. And Jesus couldn't wait to go to his loved ones and help them. And so he appears there on that road and follows them on that road. And the Bible says they were sad when Jesus appeared as he talked with them. But as he shared scripture and then their eyes were open, they were glad by the time that he left. And that's what Jesus does for us. He changes our discouraged, depressed hearts. The word sad literally means to have sad eyes with a gloomy face. It means to be discouraged. It means to be depressed. And today we, we know that depression and discouragement is running like wildfire through, through the world. I looked it up and the stats say that 20% of Americans suffer with depression. That means in a crowd like this, there's probably two to three rows of people that suffer with depression on a regular basis. If that's you, you're not alone. And if that's you, Jesus knows how you feel. See, here's the amazing thing. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 that he was touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Is it a sin to be discouraged or to be depressed? I say not necessarily. It can be a sin in your response to it, but it's not necessarily a sin just to be down because Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane said, my soul is heavy, it's overburdened. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. See, Jesus was being touched by all of our weaknesses, yet without sin. He knows what it feels like to have that heavy burden of discouragement and depression be like a cloud over you. And he steps on this road because there's two followers that need him. They were sad when he showed up. The Bible says they were glad when he left. They said, did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us along the way? That word burn means to reignite. So what Jesus does, he comes into our life and he lights our fire again. He, he touches our heart. And that emptiness that we are plagued by, he fills it with his peace and his life. That's what he did after he was resurrected. That's why he appeared on this road of Emmaus. And I want you to notice that these, these, guys, these two that were plagued with discouragement or maybe even depression, they had a friend right next to them. They had a friend. And they had a therapy session. They were talking it all out. But it wasn't until Jesus showed up and Jesus opened up the word that things really changed and got better for them. Now God uses all kinds of things. He'll use a friend. He'll use medical advice and therapy sessions. But the help and the encouragement ultimately comes from on high. It comes from him. There are times when a human friend's not enough. You need a heavenly friend and that's Jesus. And that's why he walks with these disciples, and that's why he walks with us. There was a hymn writer by the name of Johnson Oatman who lived over 100 years ago, and it's amazing. He wrote thousands of hymns 
Christian hymns. And he did so because he knew how great a friend Jesus is. And he wrote this hymn that we know and we sing from time to time. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. None else could heal all our, all our soul's diseases. No, not one. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. His second stop was for those who needed encouragement. If you need a friend today, Jesus wants to be your friend. He wants you to be in his family. He wants to walk with you. He wants to spend every day with you. And he will be a friend to you like no other. Christ's third stop is in verse 14. And here he stops and he goes back to the the upper room where the eleven disciples are gathered. Verse 14 says, Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He's on his way to Galilee to meet them. That was the plan. He had told them. But they were stuck in the upper room. They were stuck in a dark room of unbelief. They were fearful. They didn't know what to believe. They didn't know what to do next. And so Jesus turns around. Remember, he was on the road to Emmaus, right? Headed toward that direction, general direction of Galilee. But now he turns around and he comes back. And he appears in the upper room to the disciples. The full accounts in John chapter 20. I want to read a few verses from it because it shows us how Jesus strengthened their faith. That's number three. Jesus stops for the crowd who needs their faith strengthened. Christ had a great plan in mind for his followers, but they couldn't carry out that plan from a dark room, hiding out from the world. So the Bible says in John chapter 20, verse 19, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Their faith was weak. And Jesus came to strengthen their faith. And here's how he did it. He says, you need to believe. You can believe this. Look at my hands. Look at my side. I'm real. And they saw their Lord that they had recognized. They saw that he was real. But still they, they, they had trouble with it. Jesus says, you need to believe, you need to be strengthened because i got a great plan for your life. I want you to go out and I want you to be me. As the Father has sent me, I am now sending you to go out into this world and share my life story about my death, my burial, my resurrection. i got a big plan for you. You need to be strong to carry it out. That's why at this moment, 
That's kind of a preview to the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them and he gives them a glimpse of this faith-strengthening power they're going to need to go out into the world and do what he's called them to do. And he makes this statement that kind of seems strange to us. He says, if you go out there and you're going to begin to deal with people, I want you to not throw rocks. I want you to give them my love. I want you to deal with their sins and, and help them to get past that. And he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. It kind of sounds like that he's given us the right to say who's forgiven or not. But that's not the, the meaning of the text. You see, there's some words here in English that don't really convey the full meaning of the verbs that are given here. What Jesus really is saying is, because you now have the power of the Holy Spirit, he's going to clue you in to what's going on in people's lives. And you're going to have an insight to their sins. And you're going to have a power that you didn't have before to be able to, to deal with their sin, to share my gospel with them. And whenever you get to the point you tell somebody, if you'll believe this and you'll receive this, your sins will be forgiven. And he says, because the Holy Spirit's used you, their sins will already have been forgiven. That's the action word that he uses second. It's, it's a completed action. It's something that's already happened in the past. He says you're going to be able to share with them in such a way that the Holy Spirit's leading you. And then on the flip side, he says, if you're speaking to someone and they says, no, I don't believe this. I don't want to change my life. I don't want to accept the Lord like yours. I don't want to do that church thing. I want to go and do what I want to do. And you tell them, if you do that, there's going to be consequences. Please don't do that. Your life's going to fall apart and eventually you're going to spend eternity away from God. Don't do that. There's consequences in this decision. And someone looks at you and says, I don't believe that. You don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus is saying here that when you tell somebody there are consequences, he says, those consequences will already have been on the way. They're already starting. And the Holy Spirit's going to give you that power and give you that insight to be able to speak that word of authority to them. I'm sending you out. I want you to be me. You can't be me in this room, in this dark room, huddled around this table. I want you out in the world. I want you sharing my story. And that's what the next stop is about front and center. He finally gets to Galilee. He's been trying to get to Galilee, and he finally makes it. Look back at Mark chapter 16. We'll look at two more stops that he made there very quickly. But in the very next verse, the text switches to the scene in Galilee. Now, Mark doesn't really clue into this. Mark is kind of... He's kind of like I was in high school English class trying to write an essay. He was trying to make it as short as possible. <laughs> Getting right to the point. And so from verse 14, they're in the upper room, but then verse 15, it switches to what Jesus told them in Galilee as he was giving them the Great Commission, as Matthew chapter 28 presents to us. And here's what he told them. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Here's what the fourth stop's about. Jesus stopped for the many who need purpose imparted to them. This was Jesus' marching orders for his 11 disciples. 
He had appointed them a mountain to meet at in Galilee. We don't know which mountain that was. Maybe it was the mountain of transfiguration. Maybe it was some other place that they had met on a regular basis. But he gathered them at that mountain. And it was the 11 disciples that were there. And now he's making it as clear as he can. He says, I want you to take my story and go into all the world. This is a worldwide mission. This now is your purpose in life. Because you know the story. And you've seen me. And this world that doesn't know me and hasn't seen me, I want you to take the story to them. This is now your purpose. It's a worldwide mission. And it is a church-wide mission. Mark and Matthew both are very clear. It was just the 11 disciples that were there at that mountain at that time. But we know that Jesus intended it and on a larger scale for all that were in his church that would come later because he closes the Great Commission by saying, and behold, I am with you even to the end of the world. I'm going to be with my followers, empowering them, leading them in this mission all the way to the last day. That means he's still here today leading us. And this is our mission. This is our church's mission. To go out into all the world and to share this story. What happened on that mountain so long ago is why we're telling the story today. And it's why God has given us time to live and to be in 2023 and so we can tell the story. Have you lost your purpose? Are you wondering what you're really supposed to pursue in life and what you're here, really here for? What God's got in mind for you? It all comes down to this singular purpose. All of us are called to be his witnesses. We who know him, who have seen him, seen, have seen him like Peter did, seen him in our mind's eye, seen him in our heart. We've seen the evidence, it's everywhere, that he is alive. He's changed our life. And now he's calling us to go out into the world and to share his love with the world. Jesus stopped to make this clear. And then he has one final stop, and this is so good. Jesus stops. The last stop is in verse 19, and he stops for everyone who needs to be reunited with family. Verse 19 says, So then, after the Lord has spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of of God. Acts chapter 1 tells us that on this occasion before he ascended back up to heaven, Acts chapter 1 verse 4 says he was assembled together with them. There was an assembly. There was a gathering of a lot of people. And this was the big group that 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about when it says he appeared to 500 brethren all at once. They were assembled there in Jerusalem. And it was a large group and he made a point to stop here before he went to heaven and to make sure everybody that wanted to could gather around him and see him before he left. And what's so special about this occasion is that before you begin reading in Acts chapter 1, there in verse 14 you find that in this group that was there, there was Mary the mother of Jesus and his brother. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that he appeared to all the disciples. He appeared to 500 brethren at once, and then he appeared to James. His name's James. 
And who is this James? This James was none other than his brother in the flesh, his stepbrother, who later would become a leader in the early church. And so Jesus has a stop here before he leaves and he allows his spiritual family to come together and, and more than that, he allows his physical family to reunite with him. Why? Because they needed that. His mother needed that. His brothers needed that. And there are some people here this morning that need that. You need to be reunited with someone that's gone on ahead of you. And our living hope today is that we will see them again because Jesus is alive and he's brought them alive. And he brings families back together. Family is precious to God. Family is what he has centered everything around. In heaven, everything is centered around a father and a son. And it is God's family in heaven that will live forever. And God wants you in that family. He brought his family together, and we can only imagine the emotion of those moments. Mother Mary could embrace her son. The son that she last saw was broken and bleeding from head to toe. And now she could see him alive and powerful and glorious and ever-living. And his brothers were brought to him. I think that's why later the brothers came into the ministry. The brothers were used in a great way. God wants to use our families. We'll know one another in heaven, I believe. It's a fascinating question to ask. Will we know one another in heaven? I don't see how we can't. Jesus on this occasion was known by his earthly family, and I think we'll know our earthly family in heaven. In heaven, they're, they're, everything is centered in heaven. The, the heavenly city is, is centered around family. The Bible says on each of the 12 gates there are the names of the children of Israel written on them. Judah's not going to stand at his gate with his name on it and look over there and go, now Ephraim, who are you and what, what, how are we related? No. We're going to remember everything. It's just that our family is going to change. Our family structure is going to change. We're all going to be part of one big family as we're all related through Christ. And those who name the name of Christ, though they have died and passed on, will all be resurrected one day. And body and soul and spirit will be reunited and we'll stand in a glorified body. We'll be the best us that we can be. The angel in the story was a young man. I think that maybe clues us that we're going to be our young self in heaven possibly. Whatever it's going to be, it's going to be wonderful. And we're going to be together with Christ. And we believe in family forever. If you bow your heads this morning, I want to ask you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Central Word. 
Our prayer is that this message will encourage you in your walk with Christ as we dive into God's Word each and every week. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you in the week to come.